0: Are we recording? I don't yes. Know. Yes? yes. 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 Sarah. Yes. Vocal fam. Yes. We have an awesome episode that's going to air here just in about two minutes. Yes. Um, oh. Oops. Uh, we just had a great, lovely chat with us gosh, Dr. Right? Pasquale Botalico, Dr. Joshua Glasner, Yvonne Redman about their research on. On perceptions of room environments and room acoustics for the singer, and it sounds
1: like they're doing even more exciting stuff upcoming. So I guess you know we'll just have to have them back. And
0: what a great chat! Yeah, it was great. But um,
1: someone in this room.
0: So the podcast has a big announcement. I guess Um, we went public today with this information. um, But uh, I. Have been have accepted, offered, and accepted the position of associate professor and director of voice pedagogy at CU Boulder.
1: Woohoo! Um, Shovel like confetti popper things.
0: We are uh, honored to take the podcast uh, to a new place and uh, expand our reach.
1: Yeah, for me, it will be back to Zoom.
0: <laughs> um, we will be back to Zoom with Sarah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think we're just going to have you log on on Far Place so we can talk in low latency. Oh, sure. Um, but um, I'll have to
1: re-update my uh, my my package, my mm. mic setup, and everything.
0: But um, we are. I I am um, overwhelmed and honored and. Um, I am grateful for the committee's support. I am grateful for the support of my mentors. Um, I want to shout out my references. Um, Thank you to Dr. Ian Howell and Ken Bozeman and Josie Alston, who were my references for this job. Um, And I would be remiss um, if I didn't say uh, a couple of other names. Um, One, I want to thank my longtime mentor, uh, may he rest in peace, Don Miller, uh, who um, this would have meant a lot too, um, and then he would have told me to make sure I didn't screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also want to, um, you know, just say that to be taking over the chair of Burton Coffin and uh, Barbara Dosher and Patty Peterson, who held that position after Barbara, yeah. um, uh, is not is not an opportunity that I take lightly. Um, but so anyway, we're excited, Vocal Fam. If you wanna do a DMA, <laughs> I know a place. You know a guy. I know a guy. Yeah. Okay, that's it, Vocal okay. Fam. Very, um, exciting. very exciting. Very times. exciting times. We hope you're well. And here's this great episode with yeah, with okay. Josh and Ivana Pasquale.
1: Woo.
2: <laughs> You're listening to the Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture. Coming to you from the fields of Trenzalore, where the Doctor stands.
0: All right, Vocal Fam, it has been a minute.
1: Yeah, pre-Christmas?
0: I think so. Yeah,
1: that's okay.
0: Right. Welcome to 2024 Woo! in the time capsule that is Vocal Fry. Oh my <laughs> gosh, Sarah and I have many things to update you on, but we're not going to do that All on right. the front end here. Um, we might record a little bumper ourselves uh, to do that. But we are very excited to have some very dear and old friends on the podcast and a new one uh, for the Vocal Fam. Uh, we have Yvonne Redman. Joshua Glasner and Pasquale Botalico. I'm just reading in order of my screen, um, and we are we are excited to hear about some uh, research that they've done on on room acoustics and mm-hmm. some implications. And Which, um, boy
1: howdy, have we been trying to do this for a while?
0: We've been trying to do this episode for a hot minute, and we are thrilled that it finally it's got happening. organized. Yes. So I'm gonna let let's start with with Pasquale Botalico, um, and and allow you to introduce yourself first since you're new to the podcast. Go ahead.
3: So first thing, thank you for having me. And I am Pasquale Bottalico. My, uh, sorry, I graduated in engineering many, many years ago. And uh, at the same time, uh, I was doing a music school. So I also have a bachelor in vocal performance. Uh, So when I was almost at the end of my career at the university, my master, I wanted in that moment i was like at the peak of my career not great career but i did something uh, and i was i worked for 10 years with the national orchestra in italy um, so i really wanted to use my knowledge in engineering to understand better what i was doing in the music school that uh, that i did there were not classes offered about physiology or acoustics or nothing related with that. It was a standard, you know, conservatorio in Italy. And so the majority of the classes were voice and literature. So nothing really related with uh, physiology and acoustics. And so I started to study by myself more about how acoustics could be applied to voice production and what we can do to improve our performance. I started to work more and more in this area. I started with my PhD, and then after a couple of years of working in the private sector, I moved to the US where I was invited by Dr. Hunter, um, Dr. Eric Hunter, yeah, Michigan State. And that was my shift from uh, more engineering stuff to communicative science and disorders environment. Um, I really liked that and that it was immediately clear for me that that was my call and that was what i wanted to do so how to use my technical skill to better understand voice production and to apply it also to clinical population um and after that basically i after three years with eric which were amazing because i've learned a lot of stuff from him um i moved to uyuc and Here I am uh, at this point an associate professor and I really like here and it's a great environment to be and we have, as you will probably will discuss later, a lot of nice opportunity for enjoying music and to collaborate with a wonderful school of music.
0: Absolutely. Well, we're thrilled to have you. I always love actually having the scientists on in addition, particularly when they actually have a singing background. So this is very exciting day Mm -hmm. for us. Uh, All right, Joshua, you're next. Remind everyone who you are.
2: I'm Josh Glasner. I am assistant professor of speech language pathology at Delaware Valley University. Um, I have been on the podcast before. Um, <laughs> once or twice. Or twice. Um, my, my research is focused on auditory perception, um, treatment epi- efficacy and efficacy of um, different uh, tasks that we might give to uh, both patients and singers. Um, and that's that's kind of where I am right now. I recently pivoted my career from voice pedagogy and specifically academic music to speech language pathology. And we are, the, the
0: profession is grateful for your many, many contributions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I would like to also give Joshua a shout out here on the podcast. Uh, you might remember he and Yvonne, one of the last times they were on the podcast, us talking about our flipped classroom presentation, which has now turned into an uh, accepted article in Journal of Singing. It will be out next cycle. Um, and also, Joshua, his, the great thanks. Um, we have co-authored a chapter for the Oxford Handbook on voice pedagogy for the Online teaching chapter, which he had to clean up my messy, messy, messy writing. Um, it's a
2: fun collaboration. <laughs>
1: everybody, everybody
2: brings different skills. <laughs> this is this is how the collaboration works. Perna pukes out ideas. Joshua makes them make sense. This is how That's, this is collaboration. I like it. I like it. And I think evolve. the positive way to say it is that you're you're an ideas person. I'm an ideas person,
4: and <laughs> yes. Joshua can write. <laughs> Yeah. He He's very good at that. We always say that we've been joshed when That's right. uh, he reviews some of our writing. Oh God. <laughs> and wow. Yvonne. Hello everybody it's so nice to be here again and uh, gosh since the last time I saw you one of you has had a baby. It's incredible. Yeah. With We were talking about it a mass of crazy beautiful hair. He has a lot of hair. <laughs> And um, I'm at the University of Illinois with Pasquale. I am an associate professor of voice. Um, my career started as a performer, a professional vocalist. And later I came to the University of Illinois um, to teach more. And while I was here, I uh, started to think about other things I could do so I I'd always wished I'd gone to graduate school never had the opportunity and a wonderful person at that time in speech and hearing science says you know you can really build the education you want while you're here and I thought wow that's a great idea (laughs) so um, I started to collaborate with speech and hearing science and um, I had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Botalico in 2015 at the Summer Vocology Institute. So um, he and I gravitated to each other right away. He's just a joy to be around. And I was so excited when a year or two later, Pasquale, I can't remember. I think it
3: was like two years later.
4: Two years later, I saw that his name was on a list of uh um, for a an assistant professor at that time in speech and hearing science. So I texted him and said, let's get a coffee together. And he thankfully was hired and I had no thoughts really. And then he said to me, okay, let's do something. That's and awesome. so we started a research project together and that was the start of a really special relationship for me, special friendship. And I I just, wonderful things have happened since he came into my life that way. So he's very special to me, so.
3: And oh, I can also. make up on that. Sorry if I am you. Yeah. But I will say that not only there is this uh, professional uh, collaboration, but I am very grateful for everything he bonded for me. And you also need to understand that, I mean, I was not in the US since many years, so there was not only the help or the collaboration for research but you know i yvonne and her husband were the people that i was going when i needed like okay i need to choose a retirement plan <laughs> so i had no yeah. idea what it means so can you explain things to me or i need to choose an insurance what yeah. this? <laughs> so exactly so it was not only you know a research collaboration but it was also kind of a life coaching in into america
0: Listen, yeah. I'm American. Could you explain those things to me? <laughs> Honestly,
1: <laughs> yeah, <are> very
3: good.
0: <laughs> Golly, okay. So this is awesome, and I think all three of you—I I admire all three of your work, mm-hmm. I, and I and I and I love you all dearly. Um, tell us about how. Tell us. Well, first of all, we're here to talk about an article that you've produced. Now, a research study that you did, and an article you produced. Before we get into it, tell us the name of the article
3: one of you go go ahead so the paper is called the perception of singing in different performance space and we actually have two papers that came out out of it and right. one it's more related with objective parameters and vibrato and one it's related with perception so how what singers like in terms of acoustic of a space and sure. i will give you a backup no, a backup story on it. Please. Uh, so the the story of this paper started because uh, a few years ago, I was invited to uh, create a special section in a conference. And the conference was held in Verona. And the topic of the conference was the acoustic of the ancient theaters. Um, so I've been asked to create a session that was specifically on the, preferred parameters of so singing in different acoustics. So the relations between performing in different acoustic space. And at the time, actually, they were very much interested in ancient space, so open space. And there was nothing in the literature. So there was no one that could invite them, uh, on the topic. And so I discussed with the, the committee of the conference and I told them, okay, we need to open up and just talking about you know, singing voice in this conference. So we open up the, the the topic. And at the same time, I called Yvonne and I told her, look, I have this topic. There is nothing in the literature about it. And I think there is room for doing something. And plus we have an open arena here at the university. So there was also like, okay, let's do something. We have the spaces, we have the singers, we can do a study. And in a very long night (laughs) of work, (laughs) we basically had a tour with a group of, I think there were nine singers Mm -hmm. or 10, all over Mm -hmm. those spaces. Unfortunately, at a certain point it started to rain, so we were worried about (laughs) the outside area, outdoor area, but then it stopped. So we were able to collect all the things that we wanted. And, and yeah that's the way that it started this project and it's amazing also how quickly we were able to perform the collection because again we started at 6 p.m or 7 p.m yep. after working time and we went on till i don't know 11 11 30 to collect the data wow. but we're wow. We finishing one night
4: oh we did it i mean we're i lucky. love a one night data collection oh my gosh like
3: a dream <laughs>
4: Well, we're just lucky. We have a lot of performance spaces on our campus. And uh, as as Pasquale mentioned, there's also an outdoor amphitheater. And so it's a lot of interesting spaces, um, admired spaces actually. So we, you know, our campus has a dedicated opera house. We have a dedicated orchestra hall. We have your sort of traditional school of music recital hall. Sure. We have a chamber room uh, for performances as well. Um, All of which are
0: beautiful, by the way. In case you're wondering, if you've never been to UIUC, (laughs) it's it's they have beautiful spaces.
4: Yeah. So um, it was really nice to do that. Um, But you know, I want to sort of bring Josh into this now because um, previously. Pasquale and I did um, a work-related, we called it Work-Related Communicative Profile of Voice Teachers, um, which was classroom noise and the classroom noise effects on voice and hearing abilities. And I felt very comfortable with that topic. And, but then we started to get into more of this acoustic um, perception and I started to feel a little bit like, "Ooh, I am really out of my realm here. This is a lot of information that's really new to me." And um, at that time, I came across Josh's name. Josh had done a project, his actually his PhD project, and we were introduced to each other. Um, and we were—he was looking for singers um, to be part of that project. And I got his name and um just started hearing nice things about him. And so at at some point I said, you know, I'd like to bring him over to our campus and have him work with the students. And he had gotten a job that was pretty close by to Illinois. So I said, Hey, why don't you come down, work with some singers and do a presentation in Vocal Ped? And he did and I said, Oh, hey, by the way, Would a project like this interest you in any way?" And he's like, yeah, it does sound interesting. I said, okay, I'm gonna set up a meeting for you to meet a good friend of mine here on campus. And it was Pasquale. And then the rest is history, as I say.
2: (laughs) Well, and the part that I think Yvonne knows this, I don't know that Pasquale knows this, but like when she said, I'd like you to meet Pasquale Patholico, I was like, fanboying a little bit because I've admired, <laughs> I had admired his work for years before. In fact, Thank like you. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. No, he did you did this really cool project that I actually um like gave a shout out to on on Vocal Fry years ago, um, that was like replicating the Marinick and Menaldi study um with the uh he took like casts, I think, of, of people's mouths and associated acoustics with those physiological differences and so that, or anatomical differences. And I thought that was um, a really elegant study and a nice blast from the past because that paper was from like, I think the late 90s or early 2000s
3: yeah. originally. If I can add on that, shout out for Cristina <laughs> Menaldi. that was basically the person that collected the data and she unfortunately passed out a few years ago. And she has been one of the most generous person that I've met in the field. Uh, and she was willing to share all her historical archive of data. And among those data, there was this study that she did uh, analyzing the shape of the hard palate with, it was a collaboration with dentistry. And and it was, I was a little bit worried about that because it, it, Basically, it was saying something at the end like, "Yeah, voice teacher can do till a certain point. There is anatomy, and anatomy play a role in the way that a singer will sing."
2: Yeah, yeah. So really cool work. And so, and when Yvonne said Pasquale's name, I was I was totally on board. And as as I said, fanboying a little bit. Um, so it's been a a really lovely partnership where you know. Um, I feel personally, I feel, you know, that it's resulted in, in two really, uh, lovely friendships and partnerships. And also, um, I think that for me as a researcher, um, it has allowed me to, um, expand my toolbox as it will, as it were rather. Sure. Um, and that's, that's been, that's a, that's a great partnership. And, and you, and when you, you can relate, Nick,
4: things. we write. Josh Fixes. Uh, believe I, I,
2: I,
0: I, 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 I spew Josh Fixes. Um, uh, great. Um, okay, so tell us about these two different papers that you kind of produced. I mean, you know what what and, and I guess I'd really like to know both what what you did, obviously, but then also why it might matter to our audience, which is predominantly singers and voice teachers. Those, those, you know. So, tell us a little bit about the papers, and then, and then, why, why we should care.
3: So, I can start with describing a little bit more about the methods Please. that we use. Please. Um, so, the idea here was seriously mm-hmm. trying to understand how people, how singers, are reacting to the different acoustic of a space. And again, thanks to the Craner Center here. We were able to tour in the same night uh, different spaces that were different from size, from acoustical characteristics, and we measure all the acoustical characteristics in those spaces. Uh, people were arriving there. They were singing and extract, I think all, not the repetition, but you know, ben, and, uh, and everyone knows the area pretty much. Mm. So they were performing in the space uh, and they were immediately after um, filling a survey. So in which we were asking several questions about their perception of the space in terms of acoustics, in terms of like ability of singing in the space. And it was a very long survey, uh, but I think it was very effective for the purpose. Um, In terms of vocal performance, uh, we were mainly focusing on the vibrato. Um, the different characteristic or acoustical parameter of the vibrato, uh, extent, rate. My, my idea, and I think generally, I think we agree on that. Vibrato is something that it's, we can control consciously, but also if we are not focusing on that, it's kind of reflect our, uh, our mood somehow because it has to deal with reading, with support. And and so we focus on this parameter because we thought that those micro-variations in the fundamental frequency could uh, represent somehow or could be influential in the subjective performance of their uh, subjective perception of the performance. Um,
2: so essentially, that the, the idea was that by measuring those parameters, that we would have some sort of a loose correlate to what the actual production or function was of that singer's instrument, and that possibly what was happening in the room environment, what was happening to the the sound in the room, and then the feedback of that sound might potentially influence how the singer was actually singing.
3: On on a secondary note, it's that in 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 acoustics field, so in room acoustics, theater acoustics area the the goal at the beginning when the the field started was trying to understand how to create the perfect space for the audience and of course and all the studies were related with that uh, till the 90s uh, when a researcher from Denmark started to consider that we should also consider the stage in all of these so the acoustic in the stage on the stage is fundamental because again I can create the perfect acoustics, but if the performers is not in the most comfortable situation acoustically, he will not give the best performance. So some acoustical parameters start to be produced, and uh, that we're uh, mainly assessing the quality for musicians in the stage. Um, The same professor, which was Gade, Uh, At a certain point in the, uh, I think at the beginning of the 2000, 2005, started to work more also on speakers and the comfortable uh, acoustic for a speaker in the room. And Mm. in analogy with the previous parameter, those parameters are called support. And for the musician, they are measured in a very particular way because you are assuming that the. Sources and the receivers are at a distance of a meter pretty much and that's kind of simulating the typical distance or an average distance between the ear of the musician and the instrument that they are playing uh, clearly the situation is different for singers because you know sources and receivers are extremely close um so they propose this other parameter that is was called room gain or voice support um, and they are calling it voice support, but all the study on the parameter have been focusing on speakers. Uh, um,
0: not not singers, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not
3: singers. And so the idea here was, okay, we know pretty much what a speaker is like, even if I say pretty much because, again, I think that it's still a parameter that needs exploration, and we have a clear definition acoustically speaking, but like every other acoustical parameter, if you don't have the perception related with that parameter is meaningless. Like we know reverberation time and we know the value of the reverberation time, but those are numbers. So if we do not connect them with what it means practically yeah. or perceptually, actually, they are meaningless. Right. So I think that there is more work is needed on the parameter for speakers. Nevertheless, it was never applied to cylinders.
0: Well, and any singer who's ever sung anywhere would just I- instinctively respond differently to different spaces and tell you about it. Mm-hmm. Whether yeah. they knew anything actually about it or not, they would be like, Oh, God, this hall is so dry. Yeah. Or, oh, you know, yeah. or, oh, this hall is so reverberant. Or it's, you know, you're singing in some big church that echoes for a seven second delay or, or whatever. I mean, anyone who's ever ever sung as a soloist would you know i don't care if it was your junior high vocal recital they would you know they know that different <laughs> rooms respond because if you sing in a carpeted church i mean yeah. yeah you know so i mean this is this is something that is a lived experience of any singer
3: yeah
4: yeah it, it's it's definitely a lived experience historically of many performers it's just never really Uh, been explored in singers. Um, Instrumentalists have, there is research on instrumentalists um, and even orchestras, Um, but nobody had really looked at singers. So that was fun for us. And as you may, you you may not be surprised to hear, but in terms of vibrato extent, the drier a room, the wider the extent. It showed at Mm. least amongst our singers. So when there was more feedback, when the room was live, singers had a more um uh, reduced vibrato extent and i think all of us would say well sure yeah (laughs) but no one has ever really measured it so it was nice to it was really nice to find that it seems to be fairly consistent at least amongst our few singers
0: well okay i want to share i have i have three anecdotes over uh, that i've thought of already but the first (laughs) i want to share is in response to that wider vibrato right there last fall i had to sing a concert over a bunch of drunk people at a restaurant <laughs> and and for for a big very expensive jewelry event where like you could buy a wristwatch for hundred and fifty thousand dollars and um and i when i listened back to the recording i was like now i'm i'm the worst example no one should base anything on me because my brain is immediately going I need a wider swing of the vibrato so I resonate louder. Oh gosh! Like that's where my because I'm because I'm again don't base anything you think on me vocal fam ever. But but I listened back and sure enough I'm I'm my, I'm 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 like letting that vibrato swing as wide as possible hmm. on purpose to be heard over these drunk people while I'm singing <laughs> Nessun Dorma. And <laughs> so my own lived experience matches what you all found
2: because oh. that was interesting interestingly it's actually uh uh one of pasquale's uh other specialties the lombard effect
3: oh right oh indeed yeah i i i worry that's one of my research area and yeah we tend to compensate for the environment unconsciously when there is a noise um and actually we i i think though that like w- among the professional voice users, singers, are the ones that are more rely, more resistant to it because they work more in both direction. They are not only rely on the external auditory feedback, but they also rely on their feelings yeah. and aesthetic and palesthetic vibration inside the body. So, I think that that's a good thing at least because otherwise, if we are only wo- if we only rely on what we are hearing i think that our voice will be destroyed very soon because we will try to compensate too much for the environment
0: so well,
3: a little that's, bit used
0: and that's Thank the that. second thing i was going to say which is i mean i think i think you've sung there Yvonne, probably at one point anyone who has ever stood on the theater of the state the, uh, on the stage at the state theater of new york knows that you can't hear anything
4: it's purposely dry
0: and, and so you are just bound to push because you can't hear anything.
4: Right, because it was designed for dance. They don't want it to be live. They want it to be dry. So it's a horrible place to sing. Horrible. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say that. Everyone's voice carries beautifully. Oh, yeah. It feels terrible as it feels a performer. feels
0: terrible,
2: yes.
4: Yeah, yes, you feel anyway. like you're just singing into a closet. <laughs> oh, that's
2: exactly well, what and, you feel. And like. that that actually, to some extent, goes back to um, Pasquale's point about that that in room acoustics, traditionally we pay attention to the perspective of the audience member um, mm-hmm. at the potentially um, to, to the negative, rather affecting negatively the uh, the singer or the musician. And so the, I, I don't know, Pasquale, I don't think you mentioned it, but the, the thing I really loved about this study, because I came on after data collection, the thing I really loved about this study is that typically it, in modern times you, one of the ways that you can measure room acoustics is with a device that um, essentially um, mimics the shape of a um, human head, it has microphones on both sides. Um, does this one that you used have a speaker at the mouth as well? Has a yes. speaker at the, the mouth barso. as well, and the so it's a head and torso device. And so, one of the things that I thought was really elegant about this study, and I've said this, um, I said this at conferences. The thing I really appreciated about it was that instead of putting the the hat device um, in the audience, the hat device was placed on the stage, and I thought that was a really elegant method. In fact, right, and I think that that goes to show what happens when you have a singer who's also a scientist. Um, putting together some of these methods um it, it, it's it's something that I haven't seen very frequently in the literature and so that's one of the things that allowed uh, Pasquale and Yvonne and, and then me to um, to to study things that we like quote unquote no I'm putting air quotes for people on the on the radio True. um uh, this is a radio
0: show yes, not a YouTube a radio. show exactly.
1: no, no.
2: um you know it's it's the, th- I lost my train of thought there. Um, it's the, it's a thing that allowed us to rather, I'm so sorry, backing up for a second. Please. Um, yeah. They, singers, these are things that we quote unquote know, but we don't have actual evidence to, to that supports our kind of anecdotal or folk knowledge, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the fun things about these types of projects and these types of collaborations. Singers ask really great questions often too broad, but really great mm. questions mm. based on their lived experience. And this is a lived experience where all of us singers in the room can say, yeah, oh, cool. I sing in the bathroom. It feels different than when I sing on stage. It feels different than when I sing or when Yvonne sings at the Met. Um, <laughs> um, Sang. You, just, some no, some small, some opera, small house in opera, opera house in the Northeast. Right? But these are things that anecdotally drive with our lived experience. And it's really beautiful when science um, corroborates that information.
3: This is creating kind of the first like a start of paying attention because everything it's paying attention of being aware of the situation. And I think that now there is more and more interest also in the design of new space on taking care of the acoustic of the feet of an orchestra or the acoustic of a stage and And I I think that if we don't have objective parameters that are connected with the perception of the musician and on the singers, um, and basically the designer, they don't have a lot uh, of tools to use. Because in terms of designing of a space, what do you do typically? You create a model and there are simulation softwares that are basically simulating how the acoustic of that space will be uh, and typically they use acoustic parameter to map basically what will happen in the space. But if you don't have reference for certain parameter or for the acoustic of of the stage, you will not consider almost that part. So if you are looking at simulation of theaters, so what you will see is that in the stage, it's only the place where they are putting the surfs But they don't look at all what is happening there in terms of mapping of the acoustic parameter. They are focused on the stage, on the audience, and and that's still happening. But we have few. So, you know, if you go in the best places for acoustic design, they are starting to consider those aspects. And some of the newer spaces are very, very nice to sing in.
0: Did you all, when you did this study, did you all like, I don't know if you took it from previous data or anything, did you also analyze the spaces themselves like with balloon pops or something like that?
3: Yeah, we did. So we, um, one of my PhD uh, is an architect, so she helped a lot with Sylvia. Uh, She helped a lot with the measurement of the space uh, and in terms of acoustics, we did two sets of measurement. We did the measurement on the stage uh, using an add torso simulator, mm-hmm. and so basically we measured like everything in room acoustics is based on impulse responses, right. which means I use an impulse to excite the environment and I'm recording what is happening. Um, so this the. The measurements that were are typically not done, and that we did for this study, were the oral. Bi- they are called oral binaural impulse response. So basically, you use as a source of your excitation of the environment the mouth of the edentulous simulator, and you are recording through the ears of the edentulous simulator. So basically, the path that you are characterizing, because every impulse response is related to a path, of course, between source and receivers. Um, the path that you are considering is mouth here, the person, basically. So we use those measurements for our analysis because we clearly, we think that if there is an association between performance and acoustics, the acoustics should be the acoustics that is perceived by the singer. So we use oral binaural to simulate what a singer will perceive as acoustics. Uh, This is though not a typical, measurement campaign to characterize the room. So we did a second round of measurement in which we use a clapper, uh, which is basically a source that is generating an impulse in the environment and plays on the stage. And we measured in several points in the audience. And we use those measurements to as a characterization of the environment. So because the results that are giving are the one that everyone knows in terms of number and so if you are reading a reverberation time associated with the volume, you can understand what what will be, you can have an idea of what will be the perception of the acoustic of the space.
0: So forgive me for my naive scientific mind here, but so basically one of the things that's giving you is the frequency response of the space, right? Yes. So. Vocal fam, I just want to take you backwards about a year and say that if you're thinking of the vocal tract as a space, mm. the vocal fold closure, rapid closure, is creating a broadband impulse which is creating the transient response of the vocal tract. I just wanted to say that out loud so you could go back to Ian's episode on transient theory from a year ago and listen back to that. It's basically, it's not the same exact thing. but we're talking about the same kind of frequency responses oh, of space. Difficult. It's
3: mm-hmm. very similar though. I think that what we are talking here, it gener- generically it's what is called interior signals. You have a black box that is a system and you don't really care what is happening inside and you are sending a, new, a signal inside and this signal is modified and shaped by the response of the environment. And if we are thinking about our vocal our speech production and voice production—that environment is wonderful because—and is our vocal tract—and is wonderful because we can change it constantly, differently from a room where typically it's you know very static. <laughs> the walls aren't moving. <laughs> exactly. I mean, now there are a lot of new spaces for research where we can move the walls and we can change the acoustics in real time. Or
2: if you or if you sing at the Kimmel Center in Philly,
3: well, or that.
2: Yeah. Exactly.
0: Um, I I have a question about a potential follow-up. I don't know if you could do this or not. I don't know how complex it would be because you all are much more complex scientists than I am. Uh, I'm not a scientist, I'm a voice teacher. Hmm. You do, you do. uh, Yvonne and I are just voice teachers. We're just Um, voice teachers. I did that (laughs) to offend Joshua. That's an inside inside joke. joke. Um, Oh, okay. (laughs) uh, I, I have a question though. One of my lived experiences has also been singing as a contemporary singer with a microphone and in-ear monitors.
1: Uh,
0: And and one of the things that I have to carefully craft when I'm in that environment is my not only my mix of other instruments in the band, but also how much reverb I'm giving this my own channel. So essentially creating my own space. And I wonder if you could like reverse engineer the frequency responses into in your monitors and see how contemporary singers might respond positively or negatively to that introduced room in in, in your monitors, because for our contemporary singers, that is their room acoustic.
3: I agree. It's very interesting as a topic. I am not uh, familiar with uh, contemporary music, unfortunately, because in Italy, the only training that we have is opera and there is no other music besides that uh, unfortunately <laughs> i think that now there are more musical or musical theater schools that are coming out but not in the standard in the university level um degrees um, but i'm definitely open it's doable so i leave the technique the idea behind to Yvonne and Josh and I'm always <laughs> willing to support them. well yeah, and and in
2: reality the you know Fasquale, the I, I'm sure you don't want to like you know elaborate on this completely but you we, you have a project that's going on that's not too dissimilar to it that's um, exactly
4: I was going to bring uh, that up next uh, but but yeah so which we're actually doing a presentation on at Voice Foundation at the end of May. Um, It's called singing in virtual versus real venues. Is it the same? Uh Uh, So Nick, you really kind of led us toward that. And I'm gonna let Pasquale has been working with a group of, of students to collect the information and he's sort of pulling it all together for us, but I'm gonna let him continue about that project.
3: So this project that we are already run, actually we are in the analysis phase um it's related with so w- w- there is this big interest uh toward using virtual reality for different reasons and in our department we are uh, speech in science people so we are thinking about possible application application but also in the singing environment definitely to have the possibility of do your training while you are preparing to sing at the met in the Met, virtually, could be a great thing because you are starting to experience what is gonna happen and prepare for the space. Yes. Um, so that's the future. What we are doing now is that, again, we have those wonderful venue uh, venues at UIUC, and we uh, ask singer to sing in different condition, like in, in the place, for real, And then we put them, we left them in the place, in the same venue, but we gave them a visual, so an artificial representation of the space with a VR goggle. And that was the second part. And then we brought them in the lab and we recreated both the acoustic of the space artificially with our realization and the visual of the space with 3D uh, pictures.
1: I love it. Wow. So we want to
3: see in this part is a feasibility kind of study. And the the goal of this study is, and the hope for this study is that there is not a lot of changes in the performance between a virtually recreated environment and a real environment. And, and it's in, like we want to see basically, is this idea feasible? Will the performance of the singer be the same in the real and in the virtual environment? And if the answer is yes, definitely we can move toward creating artificial and virtual environment because it's not that complicated and, and give the possibility of musician to train in the space when they know that i have to perform a concert in a certain space or we can have i don't know a sort of uh 10 15 how many it's we can have as many as we want it's not that complicated but give the possibility of singers to train in a space when they are going to perform and not in a studio where there is basically no feedback
0: well sure. and not only the advantages of that could not only be preparing them to sing in a space that might, you know, be professionally, you know, wonderful for them to have that experience. It also could be beneficial to create an environment that is absolutely awful to sing in. Oh yeah, so True. that they don't push.
4: True, that's absolutely right. Exactly, absolutely. To learn to trust their their uh, their their um, experience, right? Their um, what they've been doing uh before they stepped into that space because yeah, it's very as yeah. we all know it's so hard to do that you just your Which the, is... your perception just it, it unconsciously it seems changes the way you produce sound and then yeah. we realize oh my god I, i'm pushing so hard why am i doing this yeah it's a and, and i know ahead, nick, you
2: have um i'm sorry for interrupting Von. Nope. um i know nick you have some listeners who you know, are at different stages the stages of their career. You know, some of them are interested in pursuing, you know, voice-related research. And I think the one of the really wonderful things about this line of research and and being able to talk about these projects that I hope the the listeners can can see are are all related. Um, you know, we go from function and room acoustics to room acoustics and perception to room acoustics and the virtual spaces and and can we get to a point where these are useful training tools um i think the really nice kind of lesson to learn from this then for listeners who might have less experience with research is how small these questions are and then how as a group right the amalgamation of all of them um actually answers a pretty big question so remember how i said you know singers ask great questions they're a bit too broad oftentimes Mm. this is a great example of hey there's here's this answer to this small question this answer to this small question and and not small as a as a belittling way but rather a a narrow focused answerable question well and in response to that I, i remember telling a
0: story uh we're gonna put a bumper on the front of this episode about today's announcement but in my interview, I remember being asked about like you know how, how you put together a project and, mm-hmm. and and this kind of thing. And I remember making a statement about my own dissertation that when I was beginning to dissertate, I wanted to do this big big thing, right? And I remember the chair of music education looking at me and going, "How about you do?" a really really tiny thing and then you do that about eight times and get tenure and then you might think about doing this really big thing and it's funny i I, the the story that i told the anecdote that i told those those graduate students during the interview
2: was I still haven't done the really big (laughs) thing, but I've done a bunch of small things. Well, and and, and to add on to that, you know, I I don't know that that Pasquale or any of us wants to get completely into the weeds, but for that second project, for that um, perceptual project, Pasquale taught himself a whole new um, analytical technique. Right. Um, I used the first project to to learn a different technique that Pasquale was really well versed in that I then used on another project that's been published since then. You know, the 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 reality with this is that, you know, it can be really scary, especially coming from voice pedagogy to tackle some of these smaller, more nuanced uh, questions. questions, but in fact. You know, one of our all of our good friends and one of my main mentors, primary mentors, he says that you know you're doing good work when you're at the edge of what you know. You know, that's how you know you're doing good work, and so oh, you can. It's a workers. it's an encouragement, I guess, what I'm trying to say for those who are trying to go down this research path because we need it in voice pedagogy. Yeah. Um, it it's an encouragement, hopefully, that you can be going down a path with a research project and realize that you made a mistake and something good can still come out of it. Not, There was no mistake here. I'm thinking about another project of mine. Um, and and something good can still come out of it because the, the process is one where you learn. In yeah, which that's learn. right. Mm-hmm.
3: But also on this line, you know why I met Josh. Now, Josh, I, have you finished or you are at the end of your program?
2: The graduate program? Yeah, uh, I'll be done in August.
3: So he started his graduate program in speech pathology, and I copied him and I started a graduate program <laughs> in statistics. Uh, now we are waiting for Yvonne to join the group.
1: <laughs>
3: I may be oh the next God. one that joins you in that. Wait graduate a minute,
4: statistics Yvonne group. is looking at retirement. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you can retire at 30.
4: <laughs> oh, you're such. I was a good thinking
0: friend. the same thing, but such okay. A good
4: and, uh, okay.
3: On the nice note, I will say that I, we—I were just considering that we have been met ten years ago, but someone, one of the two of us, didn't change at all. I, like, I, it, I know it's me. Seven um. <laughs> <laughs> years ago.
0: Uh, anyway, we're gonna have to wrap up here very quickly, but um, thank you all so much for your work. What journal was this all published yeah. in? Just in case people are looking.
3: Journal of Acoustical Society of America, both of them. Jazza, great. Okay.
0: Okay, there you go, Vocal Fam. Exciting. Um, thank you all. I'm so glad we finally got to do this. Yes,
1: I think like, it's been like almost a, a year. year. It's been a year. Yeah, um, yeah.
0: I'm so glad we got to do this, and and so happy we did. And um, thank you all so much. You're all lovely people, and uh, we wish you all the best. And we'll have you back on, and uh, and look forward to having you back on again. So, yeah. anyway, Sarah, what you have for breakfast?
1: Oh, um, <laughs> this little protein bar thing. You know, very portable.
0: Excellent, very portable, very portable. Very, very fast.
1: Eat it, yes, very, quickly, and while good. holding a baby.
4: That's very. Good. Mama needs her protein.
0: All right, yep. vocal fam, we'll probably be back in in, in in oh no, next week we won't be back. Two weeks, two weeks. We'll be back in two weeks.
4: Woo.
0: Okay, peace out, vocal fam. All
4: right,
0: bye, bye, bye.